Let's pray. Father God, Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful picture we've had of, of taking communion together as, as a body of believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, uh, now as we move into a, a time of, of message, Father, I just pray that may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds for what you have for all of us tonight as we speak, including myself. And I just ask that you bless this time of studying your word. Father, and I just pray that you speak. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Is anybody out there, have you ever been afraid of something like silly, like the, you know, the irrational fear of things, right? You know, hands, right? Yeah. Okay, I got a couple. Yeah, so we, we all have, you know, whether it was when you were a kid or, or, or maybe even now, you know, being afraid of something, uh, spiders or heights or, uh, you know, alligators or, you know, the, the confined spaces or, I mean, you know, anything. Um, for me, um, one of the things that I, I was afraid of was uh, uh, digger clams. You know, the little itty bitty clams that live in like the clam beds at the very edge of the ocean. And when the water comes over, um, it like washes the sand away and they're all there and they kind of dig deeper down into the sand until the wave goes, comes back again. And I was terrified of those things. Uh, absolutely terrified. You know, they're about this big. Um, absolutely terrified of those things. In fact, I was so scared uh, that anytime we went to the beach, I would not go near the water if I knew there was a bed of them right there at the edge of the ocean. Um, and, and being from South Alabama, uh, my family's, you know, about an hour-ish away from the ocean, so we went a good bit. Um, so uh, I would not go, I was just scared to death of these things. My, my I, I don't know, I was afraid that maybe they would like jump up out of the sand and attack me as I got close. And now I knew that like in the history of the created world that had never, ever happened any, at any time, anywhere, ever. Uh, but I had convinced myself that I was going to be the exception, that if I took a step onto the sand right there, it was going to be all over the news, like eight-year-old boy attacked at the beach by digger clams. I, I was just convinced of that. So I would not go near them. And in fact, to get into the water, because that's where my family was going, my dad had to carry me over the bed— uh, of clams, that part of the sand, and into the ocean. And then reverse that for me to get out of the ocean. And then the rest of the time we were at the beach, I literally sat on the beach blanket and just stared at everybody else. I was that scared. I, I just was. It was an irrational fear. So guys, tonight, what we're going to do is, is we're going we're gonna to um, look at a guy in, in Scripture who, who got afraid, who, who literally got that terrified. Um, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a look at, at what he did and, and how he responded and how ultimately God responded to him. And maybe along the way have a couple of good reminders, encouragements, and charges for us as well. So go ahead, if you will, please, and open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, as you can see on the screen. 1 Kings 19, that's our main passage for tonight. That's what we'll be coming out of. So you can go ahead and turn there. As you're turning there, for those of you that are just curious, because I know some of you are, I'm not scared of the digger clams anymore, so no one has to carry me over the ocean. I tried to get Catherine to do it the first time we went to the beach, but she refused, so I just kind of had to get over myself and just do it. All right, uh, 1 Kings 19. Uh, before we actually get into the passage, um, let me give you a little bit of background. I think it's important to kind of keep this in context so we know what's happening, because 19 is kind of—we're uh, sort of picking up where something's already been happening. So let me give you some details, all right? So this is Elijah, all right? This part of First Kings is, is Elijah. This is what's happening. Um, 
And so Elijah's going around and doing all his prophety kind of things. And, you know, he's listening to God and, and doing what God has told him. And, and we know from a few chapters back that, you know, uh, there was this really, really bad king named Ahab and his wife, who was even worse, Jezebel. And, and they were, again, doing a lot of really bad stuff. And, 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 and during this time while Elisha's being a prophet, you know, it's, it's not really the cool thing to follow God. No one's doing it. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are just kind of doing their own thing. Um, and and if, if you come across someone that was trying to follow God, you know, it was like, you, you know, you ridiculed them, you made fun of them, and, you know, they were behind the times, and they just weren't up to date. Sound kind of familiar, right? Um, but that's, that's the area that, or the time that Elijah was living in. And so in the middle of this, you know, Elijah's being a prophet. God shows up and says, all right, Elijah, I'm kind of tired of all of the people not listening to me and doing their own thing. So I'm going to take all the water away. It's not going to rain for a while. And guess what? You get to go deliver that message to the king. And so he does, right? He goes and he delivers the message, which makes him even more unpopular than he was before. Um, and, uh, and then it stops raining. Like God takes all the rain away for three years, right? Not a good thing at all. And so, uh, you know, this happens and the drought comes and, and then we have these chapters where we show God taking care of Elijah and some of the others who are trying to follow God in spite of everything that's going on. Um, and then God finally decides, okay, it's going to rain again. It's been long enough. It's going to rain again, but I'm going to do something really cool to remind people of who I am and, and, and my presence is here and, and all of that stuff before we make it rain. And so this is chapter 18 when we get down to this showdown at, at Mount Carmel, right? Uh, you have all these prophets of Baal, who was the false storm god, by the way. It hadn't rained for three years and they're still worshiping this guy. Um, and, uh, you know, on this one side, and they build this altar, and, and Elijah's like, pray to him and see if he makes it rain and, and brings fire from heaven to consume the altar. And then Elijah's like, I'm over here by myself, and I'm going to do the same thing. And whatever God brings fire from heaven and consumes the altar, that's the one true God. And so we know that, that all these prophets of Baal, and they do all this stuff, and, and Elijah kind of makes fun of them at one point, and, and they keep praying, and they're going nuts, and, and nothing's happening. Right? Absolutely nothing's happening. And so after a time, Elijah's like, okay, you're done. You've had your turn. And so Elijah kind of over here, and he's going, all right, now it's my turn. And he dumps water on the altar multiple times, and then he prays. And what happens? Fire falls from heaven. It consumes not only the sacrifice, but the altar and all the water, and the whole area around is basically one giant scorch mark. And, and all the people are like, whoa. And so, like, these hearts turn back to God, and, and the most, most of them, most of the people begin to repent, and, and then, you know, and then, and then we know that God sends rain at the end of 18. It starts to rain again, and it's such a cool thing. The people repent, and, and God does exactly what God does when people repent. He forgives, and then he begins to redeem and heal, and, and all these good things start happening, which is fantastic, Right, yay, hooray, end of movie, end scene, roll credits, this is awesome. But this isn't a movie. It's, it's real life. This is happening for real. And so we don't just roll credits and then, you know, go home and, and have a great rest of the day. Like, it's real. And so we get to chapter 19. So picking up in verse 1. You don't have to stand because um, we're going to jump around back and forth. So picking up in verse 1 of 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done 
and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord, take my life away, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him, and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength that he, that that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. All right, so Elijah is coming off of this spiritual, emotional, mega, super ultimate victory. It's like, it is the top of the mountain, literally, because that's where it was. And, uh, you know, as high as you possibly can get, like, on, I mean, huge, huge win. And then he, like, freaks out and, and runs away, like, almost the next day because of some verbal threat that he got probably, like, fifth hand from some messenger. But it's more than that, though, right? We have to remember, Elijah was exhausted at this point. He was drained. You know how after a big moment, you're, you're just, you're dead. Like, that's it. You're, you're drained. Uh, example, we just had our winter weekend a couple of weeks ago. It was an awesome, incredible weekend. It, it just really was. God did some really cool stuff, and honestly, he's still doing some really cool things because of that weekend. It was just, it was absolutely amazing. But guys, it wore us out. It really did. The leaders, even the students, me, all of us, it wore us out spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of it just wore us out. We were drained. And that's when Satan likes to make his move. He really does. He waits till our our defenses are down, our shields are down, and he makes his move. That week, guys, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of spiritual warfare going on. There really was. It was a rough week for the Mata clan. Now, we're okay. Zoe has all her fingers and toes. You can go check it. She's in the nursery. She's fine. Catherine's good. She's right there. But it really was. It was a rough week. There was, there was a lot of spiritual warfare going on. And I'm willing to bet that we weren't the only ones. In fact, I, I know for a fact that we weren't. Satan likes to make his move. And it can be really discouraging. It just makes you feel blah. It just gets to you. And we've all been there. We've had those weeks, months, years, whatever, that have been just absolutely incredible and God's blessing and doing these amazing, fantastic things. And then the next moment, it all just seems to go the exact opposite direction. We're here and then we're here. It happens to all of us. We've all been there. Sometimes we don't even see it coming. And the the attack will take all different shapes and sizes and forms, a sudden slap across the face, a punch to the gut kind of feeling. I mean, you just, you don't know. Other times we know it's coming and it still gets us down. It just does. And then 
Of course, there obviously are also times where we kind of bring it on ourselves because we let sin and pride and other things get in there too. So we're not really talking about that as much tonight, but whatever the reason, it happens. Whether it's our fault or someone else's fault or, or something else, and, but it does. It happens, it comes, it affects us all. Either way, it's, it's not a lot of fun. Now, Elijah's case was a little extreme here, right? But, but we've all felt pretty extreme, especially when we're in the middle of all these things happening and going on. So Elijah, being this great, big, bold, awesome model prophet of God, runs away. He, he turns tail and, and he runs. He gets out of there as fast as he possibly can. And not only that, he bails on everybody that could possibly be any kind of encouragement to him, right? He leaves his, his helper, his assistant, his servant in another city and then runs out as far as he possibly can get away. He does. He runs and he hides. You know, again, a prophet of God here. No one is exempt from these kinds of things, from these kinds of of attacks, spiritual attacks, crummy days, from, from getting down and depressed. No one, not you, not the guy next to you, not the lady on in the seat in front of you, no one. Elders, deacons, pastors, we're all vulnerable to this. Especially uh, especially those that are trying to do things for God. You know, I think a lot of times, just as an aside, you think we think our church leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, we're kind of immune to that kind of stuff. We're not. We're not at all. Satan is one of the best non-discriminators out there. He hates every single one of us equally. So Elijah runs away as far as ways as he can go. He runs and he runs until he is so tired he cannot move another step. He is so discouraged and depressed, he even begs God to kill him, which is incredibly ironic because the guy that's running for his life so that he doesn't die is now begging God to let him die. He's tired. He's exhausted. We need to picture this. We can't just stop here and kind of keep reading. I I want you to get this picture in your head. Like he he has been running. He's out in the middle of the desert. He is sweaty. He is exhausted. He is tired. He is done. And, And he literally just gets to this point where he cannot move another inch. And he just gets down on his knees. He is drained. And he's just like, God, where are you? What is going on? I'm done. Just let me die. And God lets him fall asleep. And there's just silence. It's bad. It's, it's really bad. He is at this lowest point. We all know that feeling to some degree, to some point. And then God responds. God doesn't let him die. God doesn't kill him. God doesn't even show up and start screaming at him. What are you doing, Elijah? I have this job for you and you didn't finish. No, he doesn't do that at all. What happens? We just see in scripture, an angel shows up, wakes him up, says, okay, Elijah, here you go. Here's some food. Here's some water. God feeds him and lets him take another nap and then he feeds him again. 
God takes care of this immediate need. You got to remember, like, dude's going to die, okay? And, and, and he's out in the desert. He's in the middle of nowhere. He's by himself. No supplies. He ran out there on purpose, which is totally nuts. But God gives him food and water and rest. And guys, just like my dad showed up to help me with my fear of those clams in that digger bed, right? God shows up to help Elijah with what he was afraid of and terrified of and scared of just in the nick of time. Now, the problem didn't end, right? There's still more of chapter 19 to go. There's a lot more that's happening. When my dad showed up to help me, that didn't make everything magically end. He had to carry me across, and when I got older, had to help me, you know, pass that fear. So there was still journey left, and God, there was still journey left for Elijah. God had some more to teach him and to show him. So God, again, shows up. He says, okay, Elijah, you're tired. I know you are. So I'm going to take care of this need. I'm going to let you rest. I'm going to let you get some recharging for a minute, but you better get ready because I'm sure not done with you yet, and you've got a journey ahead of you. We've got some work to do, Elijah. So in verse 8, he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. 40-day journey, one verse, 40-day journey. This is one verse, and then we just kind of keep going, but I want to pause here again just a second. It took him 40 days between that nap he took and this next part where we pick up in verse 9. 40 days between that. It wasn't like it happened two seconds later. Let me put that in perspective for you. Do you know what was about 40 days ago? Christmas. I did the math. It's about 43 or 45 days ago was Christmas. Okay? So think, from Christmas to here, that length of time, that's how long Elijah was by himself in the desert walking from wherever he was to the mountain. That's a long time. You just, you have to wonder, like, what was he thinking? What was going on? God had that message from the angel for him, but after that, I mean, it doesn't really say that there was any kind of conversation happening. I mean, did he meet anybody? Did he run into other people? Was he by himself that entire time? That's a long time to be by yourself and depressed and kind of worn out and tired and, you know, God's quietly guiding, but it doesn't say he said much or anything. There was a journey there. Well, you know, we know he gets to the mountain. So let's pick up in verse 9 and see what happens. Verse 9. So he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left They seek my life to take it away. And he said, God, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke the pieces and rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance to the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord of the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael, the king over Syria, and Jehu, the king, uh, uh, son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel uh, Mahola, you anoint a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword uh, of Hazael, Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So Elijah gets to the mountain, and God gives him this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? God asked him that twice, which I think is really fascinating. First off, for a couple of reasons. First off, um, probably because that's one of the burning questions that Elijah has, even though he hasn't flat out said it, been asking God this whole time. Uh, what are you doing, God? Where are you? So God kind of beats him to the punch um, and asks him first, did you notice that Elijah never really answers the question either? I, I really think that's interesting too. He, he never actually answers the question. Sure, he whines and cries and complains and uh, it kind of throws a little bit of a me party, but he, he doesn't really actually answer the question. It, it kind of in his own way, he sort of answers the question with the question, kind of answering God back. Okay, well, God, where were you? We, we all do that. Don't we? A lot of times when we're confronted with a question like that that we don't want to answer, that kind of makes us sort of examine ourselves. We don't, we don't want to answer. And sometimes we'll answer back with a question. I had a student one time. Uh, I was on a, we were on a trip. It was summer camp. And uh, me and one of the other leaders were making our, you know, post lights out rounds just to make sure everything was fine. It was an outside kind of area. The dorms had doors to the outside. And so we hear this funny sound, and, and, and we're walking along the, this path, and, and we hear this really weird sound, and we look up, and we see one of our students um, basically emptying the contents of their bladder onto the sidewalk off the balcony. We had a little discussion about that. Um, and basically including one of the questions is, what in the world were you doing? What are you doing here? To which I never got a straight answer, of course, um, because what 14-year-old is actually going to answer that truthfully? Um, but, you know, like, what, why not, you know, and, and he basically answered the same question. As, well, well, what are you doing here? I didn't know you were going to be out here. What's, what are you doing out here? As if it was my fault that I was doing my job. Um, so why not answer? Well, because we all know that the real answer to that question, what are you doing? When it's coming from, especially when it's coming from God, the real answer to that is, we were sinning. Pride, selfishness, sin. And just like that kid who didn't want to admit that to me, Elijah sure wasn't about to admit it to himself, much less to God. You know, when the focus which is exactly what Elijah did. But when the focus shifts to self, uh, when we forget that God is still um, God, whatever we're going through, it doesn't change that fact that God is still God. But when the focus shifts to self, we kind of forget that. 
Right? We, we forget that God is still God no matter what. And, and we get so focused on ourselves and so inwardly focused that we forget everything else, especially him. Guys, nothing surprises, concerns, worries, scares, freaks out, panics God ever at all. And so God takes this moment right in the midst of this, in between these two questions, to basically remind Elijah of that too. I am still God. And so he says, all right, Elijah, go outside. I'm going to show up. So Elijah goes outside. Anybody else think that's kind of weird? He just goes outside because God says he's going to show up. Do you remember back a few books before where Moses says, hey, God, I want to see you. And God says, okay, but if I show up the way you want me to, you're going to die. Elijah probably knew that passage. In fact, I'm sure he knew that passage being prophet of God. And yet he goes outside anyway. So he goes out, and uh, uh, he doesn't even think about it. But, but these, these things happen, right? The wind, the earthquake, the fire, and they kind of drive Elijah back into the cave. And God's not talking in those things anyway. Now, he knows, Elijah knows that God's doing this stuff, but I think it's more of a reminder. You know, God's kind of going, all right, Elijah, this is, remember who I am. Remember what I just did on Mount Carmel. Remember who you're serving here. This is who I am. And so much more. But this is enough for now, so let's talk. And then this still, small voice shows up, and God talks again. Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? I feel like when he asks the question the first time, it's more of a, what are you doing here? And the other one is more of a gentle kind of, What's going on, man? It's this reminder of of Elijah, I'm this too. Like, this this is who I am. I don't always put on a show like you expect me to or you want me to. But that doesn't mean I'm not God. And that doesn't mean I'm not here. And doesn't mean I'm not doing something. In fact, Elijah, I never went anywhere. So Elijah, again, Where are you? What are you doing here? And Elijah kind of half answers the question again. And so God, knowing that he kind of now has his attention, kind of gives him uh, and, and has done his reminder and has sort of done his thing, gives Elisha another mission. He gives them another job to do. Elijah, I know you're upset. I know you're discouraged, but you are not done. I have more work for you to do. Go anoint some kings, these next set of rulers, and you now have this mission to train someone that's going to replace you when your time is over. I have work for you to do, Elijah. You are not done yet. And then, in my opinion, um, God kind of gives him a little kick in the butt at the end. By the way, Elijah, even though you have not answered any of my questions, I'm going to answer your challenges. Just so you know that I actually am listening to you and care. You think you're the only one? (laughs) There's like 7,000 others 
who are doing exactly what you're doing, who I've been using to glorify my name in other areas. You may not see it, Elijah, but this is happening. You are not alone. I am God. You are not. I am working in ways that you cannot see. By the way, I'm not done with you yet either. Get back to work. I love you, but get back to work. And we know that he does. Elijah gets the message. He kind of finally understands because he goes and does it. That's what the rest of the passage is and even into some of these later ones. And the rest of the, you know, First Kings is about some of the other cool things that Elijah does. And God uses him in some mighty, mighty ways. And he's training Elisha, his replacement, this whole time as well. And then we see that the training pays off and that Elisha does some mighty things in Second Kings. And that God still uses Elijah in the midst of this. And then, crazy God thing, Elijah gets taken away to heaven in a whirlwind. He doesn't even die. So God does some incredible, incredible things with him. But see, I think the point of a lot of this, and one of the points I'm trying to make is honestly, God. It's not about us. It's about him, and it's about what God is doing, and he chooses to use people like Elijah, and and yes, some some things happen where we get down, but it's still ultimately about God. We are all, for one reason or another, going to face hard times, fear, uncertainty, depression, etc., to some degree or another. We all have. Some of us are right now, and if you're not, you will again every single one of us. I've heard it said that either you're entering a life storm, you're in the middle of a life storm, or you're leaving a life storm. It's kind of your three options. Guys, this world is fallen and cursed and crushed and sinful and broken. And so it's going to happen. Especially when we as Christians try to live for Jesus. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. The Bible makes that clear. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Right? Jesus makes it very clear. Hey guys, if you're facing things because you're trying to live for me, don't be surprised. Like, it's coming. We have to remember that in the middle of these things, it's still all about Jesus, not us. And ultimately that he is going to get the glory in these things. I know that, and I know that it's hard to believe, especially when you're in the middle of something. And you definitely don't want to hear, oh, well, God's just going to do something through this. You just don't know it yet. Honestly, when people come and tell me that, and I'm sure you guys are the same way when you're in the middle of things, sometimes, man, you just want to be like, just stop. I know that, but I don't want to hear that right now, but, but, but it's the truth. It really is. It really and truly is. It's not just some line. It's the absolute truth that God is still working and is still doing something. And ultimately, he is going to get the glory. We know that revelation tells us as much. In the end, God And just to make sure we totally understand, John kind of ends it with an amen. Two encouraging thoughts, and then I'm going to wrap up and we're done. 
whatever you're facing, uh, about to face, or just finished facing, God has not once given up the title of Yahweh, God of the universe. Never once. And he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And then the other thing is that as part of that promise, he's given us each other. Folks, you have a room full of brothers and sisters in Christ who will cry with you, laugh with you, rejoice with you, pray with you, and for you. It is no accident that you are here at Alden Union Church in the year 2018 right now. So whether you're the one going through something or whether you're the one out of something and you can lift each other up or whether you're both going through something, you can both pray for each other. You are here for a reason and for a purpose and ultimately it is to bring glory and honor to God. So where are you right now? I don't have a clue. But I can tell you one thing. I know where God is. He's right there with you. And he ain't going anywhere. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you so much for the message and the reminder that you are with us. Help us to remember that ultimately everything will be for your glory and your honor. Lord, that, that you make beautiful things out of broken things, that you make beautiful things out of dust. Lord, help us to go in that strength. Help us to remember that as we face trials or as we help others face trials, as we move forward into another week. Father, I pray that you continue to work and continually remind us that you are with us, you love us, and you are here. We love you, Jesus. Romans 8. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.